Welcome to the backdrop, Untold Stories in Golf. I'm your host and co-founder of New Club Golf Society, Matt Considine. Today, we have another very special guest. Casey Kermis is on the pod. Casey is our manager down in Atlanta. He's been with us for a couple of months. We wanted to bring him on the pod because even if our Atlanta members have gotten to know Casey these last few weeks or last month, couple months, uh, the rest of us haven't. So we thought it'd be fun to have him on hear a little bit about his experience, his career in the game of golf. The man has uh, been all around the world already at a young age. He was at Rasapena as a PGA pro in, uh, in Ireland, Northern Ireland. He was um, studying in St. Andrews where he got his management, uh, master's in management degree at the University of St. Andrews. Probably played a little golf. Yeah, I can derive from this call. It sounded like he played a little bit of golf. And uh, he, he tells us a little bit about just the culture he experienced in those travels. Um, also stateside, working at places like Fairfield and Country Club in North Carolina, abandoned dunes for a short stint. Uh, just, just a really neat perspective, and, and we're honored to have Casey on our team here at New Club and, and representing the Atlanta chapter. Uh, he also dropped some hints on some things he's working on for what's coming up in the rest of 2021 and 2022 for the Atlanta members and the Atlanta chapter. Speaking of what we have coming up, October 21st through the 24th, it's the Founders Cup. It's our third annual, fourth annual, 2018, 19, 20, 21, fourth annual Founders Cup. We're going to be at the historic Mid Pines Inn. We're going to have two teams. Chicago is taking on Atlanta and Ambassadors. It's a perfect split. We had to manipulate no numbers. It's right down the middle, and we're going to play uh, four days of, of awesome match play competition, camaraderie, friendship, fun, fun all around. And, uh, and I'm really gearing up for this because I, I think it's so cool. We've been able to see you know, friendships develop in these local chapters. And, and I think this is the first time that we've ever kind of cross-pollinated, if you will allow the pun, where we kind of get together. So I'm looking forward to seeing those relationships and, and just uh, probably a little bit of shit talk. That's okay, too. That's all part of the game. But we'll be there. Uh, we do have one spot left, 48 hours probably, until we have to close registration. So if you're sitting there thinking, man, I would like to end my golf season with something special for me, the Founders Cup could be it. So one spot. Jump on it if, if uh, you can make the calendar work. November 2nd, Atlanta. We're able to announce your venue for your club championship. Registration is open. Qualifiers have been selected. It is Athens Country Club, 1926 Donald Ross layout. I played it a couple weeks ago. It's one of the, my favorite classic courses I've played. I thought it was phenomenal golf. And uh, I think our members will too. Those of you that have been there probably already know that. But Athens Country Club will be hosting us for our first ever club championship. It's match play. Uh, talk to our members in Chicago. It's always a great, great time. Um, speaking of Chicago, congratulations to our club champions that were crowned this past weekend at the Dunes Club. John Pinelt was our first inaugural champion out of the uh, first flight division, our net division, and Brian McCarty. Congrats to him to becoming our overall club championship. They both had a tough route to there. I know Brian played exceptional golf. Uh, earning the two spot out of Chickamine Country Club during stroke play, um, moving on into to match play, defeating Kevin Consler two and one. John Ballou, former 2019 club champion, he beat him one up, I believe, in extra holes. And then he ran into Society stalwart Scotty Rolfe in the finals, uh, who was on a roll that day, making plenty of birdies. And he defeated him six and five. So congrats to Brian for competing so well and representing our club. We're honored to have you as our club champion for 2020 out of Chicago. John. John Pinelt, man, this guy, he, uh, he won the stroke play uh, in the net division, got the one seed, 
He honestly, I thought he was running into a buzzsaw because Lauren Moy, who won the playoff at, at for the very last spot in our first ever mixed gender club championship with a birdie putt on the second playoff hole at Chickamauga. Uh, just a dagger to huge Galdonis. I mean, I know he was hurt. And the sorrow we all felt for huge was was only outweighed by the joy we felt for Lauren. And it was uh, one of the highlights of the year. Had to shout out Lauren. Congrats on, on making that final spot. But uh, but John Waxter in the first round. Sorry, Lauren. John, John played great in that match. I got to follow along with it. And then he moved on uh, to beat Tim McCarthy one up Ross. Zachwija in the finals three and two. So congrats to John for being our inaugural club champion for Chicago in the first flight. Without further ado, let's get to the show with Casey Kermis. Casey Kermis, welcome to the bag drop. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. You know, on these little screens that you and I have talked to for so long, I uh, I thought you were a little man. I don't know how to say <laughs> that. I hope that's not offensive. Just whatever way you position your computer, I thought you were five foot two. And uh, we get together for the Atlanta uh, event this past month at the Hooch Fields Golf Club, and you are an absolute unit. You were towering over me. I was very intimidated. Yeah. Have you always been tall? Yeah. When, when did you? No. No, when I started high school, I was like five foot tall, less than a hundred pounds. And, uh, they signed me up for the football team and, uh, I was known for dodging people because I didn't want to die. Cause I, if I got hit, I would just like snap in half. Um, and then I, yeah, I graduated high school. I was six foot two, like a buck 40. And then my freshman year of college playing lacrosse, they put me on a, on a weight program and I gained like 60 pounds in a year. So, Yeah. Well, yeah, I was it, not, I was, I used to be very small. So it serves your golf game. Well, I, you're, you're not like an abnormally large person. I no, just thought no. it's funny to like meet someone, you know, as we, as we met when you were finishing up at St. Andrews and, and yeah. applying for new club. I, I just, all these little screens, I just thought you were a tiny, tiny man, but uh, part, part of meeting people through a pandemic, right? Right. This is how we, we get to know each other. So yeah. uh, today's going to be fun. We wanted to have you on the podcast because a lot of people want to know who the hell is this Casey guy at New Club. And there's, there's so many places we could start. I'm, I don't, yeah. we, can go, we can go all the way back to, I want to hear about your lacrosse days and, and uh, you as a young man growing up in the Northeast. But uh, the most recent place is probably of much interest to people that listen to this podcast. And that's St. Andrews. And yep. the fact that when you, uh, you know, started talking to me and new club and thinking about, you know, relocating to Atlanta to run the Atlanta chapter, uh, you were over there studying in school. So tell me about that. Like, how did you end up getting to St. Andrews? What draw drew you there and uh, yeah. what was going to school like, um, as a grad student? Yeah. So I ended up at St. Andrews. I was, um, still in the golf business as a club pro. I kind of decided I wanted to transition out of the green grass side and uh, wanted to go back and get a master's degree. So I applied to St. Andrews, the University of Edinburgh and uh, Oxford. And uh, St. Andrews got back to me about a week and a half before the pandemic hit. And then uh, I had a month to get back to people. And then everyone else is like, we're delaying decisions because of the pandemic. And I was already in this house like, okay, done. Best golf. We're going to St. Andrews. So yeah, that's how I ended up there. And then, uh, it's 
it's better than you'd think it is to live in St. Andrews. I think all golfers have this idea that like you live there and it's really cool. And like you walk to the golf course and it, it's better than that. Like it is, it's everything you can make it out to be. And then some, so yeah, we lived, I lived about a mile from the first to the old course. We'd get the, the best membership in golf. It's about 300 us dollars. All you can play golf on all the St. Andrews links, trust courses, uh, enter the ballot with COVID. They'd shut down the, basically everyone canceled their trips and the ballot was shut down to no one could just walk on. So all the students, um, people would, would enter the ballot and you could pretty much play the old every day. Like you just look at the ballot and be like, Oh, I didn't get a time, but these three people got times. So like, let me just text them and see if I can go out and play. With them. So yeah, we played, I think in the fall, 12 week semester, I think I played like 55 rounds of golf in 12 weeks, maybe a little more. Um, so yeah, we played the old course one week for fall break. We played it five out of seven days and so only opens for six days. So what is it about that? You said it's better than you, you think it's cause I mean, I yeah. I've had those romantic ideas of like, you know what, uh, I'm a dad now, so this isn't in the cards, but I was just, you know, in my old job, I'd be like, you know what, I'm dropping everything. I'm going to become a caddy. I'm moving to St. Andrews. I'm moving to North Barrick. I'm going to, I'm just going to live that life, man. Um, yeah. What, what, what was, what was better about it than you imagined? Cause I think we all imagine it to be pretty good, but like, what was like, yeah, something that you it's, know? it's the only place where it's normal to walk through the grocery store with your golf clubs. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, like you'd, you'd get off the course late and you'd go to Tesco to get some food and some beer and walk home and nobody would look at you weird. And you're like, you're wandering through the grocery store with golf clubs on, you leave your clubs outside a coffee shop in the morning and get some food and then walk to the first tee and, there's just clubs like dotted all around. Uh, you always see people walking through town with golf clubs. Everyone's got golf shoes on. It's just uh, the history of the place, the aura of the place, the people. It's, yeah, it's as good as you can imagine. And then some, and uh, it never gets old when you turn around and see the first, the first and the 18th of the old, that feeling never, it never goes away. You still, even after you've done it 40 times or 50 times, or some kids have done it hundreds, it's still, still what, special how many times did you play the old do you think played it uh probably between like 35 and 40 times but i was only able to be there for half a year basically i have some friends there that one kid's doing a, a fifth year postgrad year this year and he thinks he's probably played it two to three hundred times already oh my goodness. Uh, if not more so yeah when you're a student out there it's you have to actually limit yourself you could really play golf on the old four days a week so what is your relationship with the old course because i think you know so many uh americans go over there thinking like oh the home of golf and they build up this place and uh, a lot of people hate it their first time around yeah a lot of people like don't get the puzzle but what what's your relationship with it like how, how did it change yeah. from your first round to your 50th so the first round i ever played there was 2015 um i had a friend who was doing his master's degree at St. Andrews before law school. So I went over to see him before I was going to work in Ireland. Um, and I, I did like one of the week, all you can play golf passes, woke up in the morning, went down, he didn't want to play. So I went, waited in line, first one out. I think I got out at like 8am. Didn't have my clubs. There was no food open. I like ran back, got my clubs, ran to the first tee with a breakfast sandwich. Like this is, this is not going to go well. It was uh, two weeks before they closed the course for the open in 2015. And so the grandstands were up. So on the first tee, 
the first time I ever played the old course, the grandstands are up the entire right-hand side of one is grandstands. You can't see the ocean. And it's like, it's way less intimidating. Like you, you're like, Oh, there's a wall there. Like, okay. Yeah. I won't, I won't hit it. Right. Like just aim down the middle. Um, I cold topped the driver down the middle and hit a wedge <laughs> over the green. And I think I then sculled the chip into the pond and made a seven and walked it too. But I, yeah, I, you know, I didn't entirely get it going around. It was fun. Like I knew it was fun. I knew it was interesting, but you don't really get the nuance of it on the back nine. I wanted to go for uh, 14 and two and uh, the caddy tried to talk me out of it. And I was like, no, no, we're good. We're good. And I walked off with a 12 and I hit it in a bunker up by the green. Um, And, but I, like I made par on the road hole and, and birdied 18 and it was, it was awesome. But yeah, you kind of get the mystique of it, but you don't understand the course. Um, I'd say I, I, you know, you get, you understand it a lot more when you play it from, so they change the pins basically every other day. They change the tees every day. So if you play it back to back days, you're going to play it from a different set of tees to the same pins. Um, and that's when you start to understand, you know, six, they move the tees 10 feet to the right. And the hole is so much harder because now it's a blind tee shot to an angled fairway with gorse right and left. And with the wind, and if you aim left, you're going to go at the coffin bunkers that are really left of 13. And if you go right, you're dead. And you're just like, okay, this is really hard. But then if they move it left, you just blast driver at the green and it's a drive through par four. Uh, So, so that's kind of when it really started to, or when it gets cold out, they move seven up. So it's like actually a drivable hole with a three wood. Um, You can hit it over everything. And then you snap hook it left of 11 and you're like, well, this isn't fun. (laughs) So yeah, I, I remember on nine one time I hit it 90 yards, right? Well, there's bunkers in front of the 10th tee that probably no one knows about. You're never going to go over that. There is no reason to be near these bunkers unless you're trying to play it safe off nine and you aim a hundred yards, right? And then you're absolutely dead in a bunker. So that was kind of, once you play like, like, wow, this place is really cool. This place, it's endless. So, you know, next May we're there. By the way, 2015, that was the last time I played the old course. I think we were right on top of each each other's tee times. Really? Two about I gotta look at my calendar, but it was like two weeks before and the grandstands were up. Yeah. Uh, I so I got cool. A, I got a story about my drunk cousin going up to the bleachers late at night. <laughs> That's not for a podcast, but if anyone wants to like, I'll, I'll gladly put him on blast. Uh, <laughs> the uh the best place to get a post round drink in St. Andrews. Where is it for you? Yeah. So, uh, well, so now I was lucky enough to be able to join St. Andrew's golf club. So I would have to say St. Andrew's golf club overlooking the 18th fairway, uh, overlooking the 18th green. Um, I think, I think the view at the new golf club is actually a little bit better. It's pretty, it's pretty good up there. It's pretty good up there, but we're closer to the green. You're a little further down the yeah, fairway. Right. Right. Um, I would say, you know, you can never beat the Dunvegan. Dunvegan's so good. Um, but yeah, I think I was told there were like 160 bars in St. Andrews. St. Andrews is like three square miles, which is it's, crazy to think about. But which is, and there's there is, uh, although clearly a golf town, and everybody, like you said, is it's okay to shop with your golf clubs on your back. Uh, it's a college town too. People don't realize oh, yeah. that 
it's bustling with, you know, young, young minds that are uh, yeah. out there having a good time too. I think there's that, I think that gives it a lot of energy. There's a lot of energy from that. There's a lot of, uh, yeah, you know, the St. Andrews student union is a, is a nightclub like six nights a week. Um, it's, it's, there's a lot going on in that town. That's not golf related. Um, that people don't even have an idea about, which is pretty cool. The, uh, what do you think is the closest thing to saying? So you spent, you know, good amount of time there studying golfing. What do you think the closest thing is to St. Andrews in, in, uh, the States in terms of golf or in terms of the, the town, like, like kind of culture maybe, or, or, uh, yeah, just like places you've been that kind of give you similar feels, you know, like maybe yeah. obviously it's never going to be what you get in the home of golf, but you know, 50% of that, 20% of that, like where are some places that come to mind? Cause you've been I around, think, you've been, you've been at Bandon, Bandon's pretty cool because it's all golf. Uh, you don't get the, you know, you don't have the collegeness of it, but you got good food, good drink all over the place. Um, phenomenal golf. That's, you know, you can knock it if it, if you want to debate if it's through links golf or not, but I don't know. It's links golf in my mind. Um, Wait, do people knock that. People, there's a debate for that. Well, it's technically, yeah, technically because it's on a cliff, I think it's technically not a links elevated and not, I mean, yeah. it's sand though. but it's, it's all sand, sand on the ocean yeah. and, and pins blow out of holes when it gets windy. So, um, <laughs> it's, it's links golf in my mind. Um, yeah, I'd say Bandon for the golf. I'd say in terms of like the the amount of college students and stuff, maybe Boston, just with like Cambridge and Boston, you got, you know, funky little coffee shops with students all over the place. Uh, but Cambridge has zero golf courses. So it's it's not there for the golf aspect. <laughs> yeah. No, nobody, uh, you know, schlepping their Jones bag down through. No, uh, no. Jewel Osco. Well, you're not hi- you're not hopping on the red line to go play golf very often. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's just there's feels there you can't get anywhere else. I think is what I'm saying. And and like yeah, like what I'd love to hear your take on the culture aspect of it. So just people in general in Scotland, because I think what I've always gravitated towards, and Ireland has this too, but um, they're just countries of sports men and women. Like they they not everybody plays to some degree because they start so young, but uh, they just have this appreciation and understanding of it. And, yeah. and it's just um, uh, this, this mutual respect that you feel everywhere of, of people that, yeah. that know the game, they know it. And, and I yeah. feel like, you know, we're trying to curate a lot of that with new club where like, you know, we don't have a town or a physical location, but you, you, when you're with those people, and I know a lot of people, you know, use the heck out of the term like-minded, but I, I don't think it's that. I think it is just this like baseline respect that everyone has for this game, which also means they have this respect for each other. And it's just, it's this very warm feeling I get when, when I'm over in those places, what, what do you think like as you came back, right? You, you made the re-entry. So you're over there. Yeah. You're, you're in their culture and then you come back. Like what caught you, uh, caught your eye of just like, okay, this is why the U S isn't that, you know, from a golf perspective, if this is why we don't really have that, you know, baseline, respect amongst everything there's just like it yeah. feels like we're just so is it because we're so big and this people just come from so many different um, yeah i think yeah i think there, i don't think there's any one thing where it's like if you solve this it's you're good 
but it is different, right? You watch the European tour and no one's yelling mashed potatoes and you don't have, you know, Brooks and Bryson heckling each other over there. I think in some regards, Danny Willett and his brother, that's, that's the, yeah, exactly. You got, yeah. I mean, they still, they, yeah, they stuck, they all talk plenty of shit to each other, but they, uh, you know, there, there is a mutual respect there and, and they, it's not a, it's not a publicity stunt. They're not all trying to, you know, make as many dollars as they possibly can. Uh, maybe one day they will, but not not currently. Um, but I think that in some ways it's it's just it's ingrained. You know, it's it's you don't have to go to the country club behind a gate down the street um, to be in golf. Um, you know, you grow up in St. Andrews, and there's people who don't play golf, um, but they know it. They still know the people. They still there's not this like venerable golf that you need to go like reach a status to go play. It's just, you know, golf is what it is. It's the same as if you want to go play pickup basketball. Um, it's just a different, different court. That's cool. I mean, you brought that up because obviously with what you and I are doing and, uh, and working hard on this, this thing, this little experiment that new club is, it, it, you see those examples of, you know, you talk about the links pass um, and through the links trust and, and what'd you say it was $300 for a student? It's like something like 300 US dollars. Yeah. It's like 150 pounds, 200 pounds. Playing six of the best golf courses in the world, you know, on a, on an annual rate like that, obviously that's the junior rate. Then you got the clubs that don't charge much more than that. We're talking maybe a US yeah. equivalent of a thousand bucks for a year. And then, and then you have your links card, which also, you know, feeds these places and, and it manages. And I just feel like, like we are so overindulgent in the U S that we've just thrown so much at these places. And obviously private clubs just go extravagance to the max that we've just completely lost sight of what compelling golf is at its core at its base. And, uh, and just focused on that because that's, that's the core difference from like, and now we're talking about, you know, obviously club ecosystems, but, uh, like why don't we have more of that, Casey? Like, why why aren't there? Yeah, you know what I well, mean. Well, I think you. So you have hospitality here. You don't have hospitality over there, right? Uh, you don't have a backdrop. It's, it's self service. Yeah, you know, pe- people are nice. The bartender's not going to be mean to you, but you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna walk out and get glad handed everywhere you go. Which at a nice club here, I mean, that was always our biggest expense was backdrop staff. You know, you have a ton of servers and you always have servers because if you have 10 people, you need 10 servers. So you have to have a ton of people. You always have, you know, you have a five-star kitchen open 12 to 14 hours a day. And over there, it's like, hey, we don't even serve food before 10. If you want food, go to the coffee shop down the street. We don't really care. Kitchen closes so, at seven. That's, yeah. That's and the clubs. No. Yeah. And so golf clubs there are run separately from the golf course. So they're they're entirely separate business entities with different thing, different incentives, uh, here, they're all the same. Um, and they allow guest fees, right? It's a, it's a huge moneymaker over there or, uh, competition days out open competition days over there are massive. We don't do that here. You're not going to go sign up for an open competition at Augusta. And we don't hear about the, uh, the booms and the recessions in Scotland and Ireland and Wales and England, right? They just play golf and it continues. Do you think that like you, you worked and we're not talking about this from just the standpoint of like private club members, um, mm. you know, you were on the other side of that desk. So you've worked at uh, places in Ireland, Rosa Pena, you've worked at uh and dunes. So like from those, from that standpoint of those people that they're employed, are they just employing less people? 
because they have less money. Like it's more self-service, like you said. Are the clubs in over there some just, ways? Yeah, are they just not hiring as many? Do they have four assistants? You know, so one have- way to so so the greenskeeping budget's going to be a lot smaller, but fescue grass and a links course is a lot easier to maintain. So you know, a massive line item is going to be like hand watering bent grass greens in the summer is insanely expensive. Yeah, cutting cutting grass in the U S and growing grass in the U S is wildly expensive compared to growing fescue and sand is like anybody could go do it. They do it really well and they know how to do it really well, but like just plant the fescue, let it grow and mow it is like 50% of the battle and they don't irrigate a ton. You know, if it rains, it's soft. If it doesn't rain, it's firm and it is what it is. Um, so the maintenance budgets are way smaller. The maintenance staffs are way smaller. The golf pro over there does everything, even more than what you do here. You run events, but first day I worked in Ireland, they taught me how to pour a pint of Guinness. So like we were the bartenders before noon. Um, you wanted a coffee, you wanted a beer, you ordered it in the golf shop and we went and got it for you. And so, you, you know, you save on that staff. Whereas here we would have, you know, I worked at clubs where we had three wait, wait staff at 7 a.m. And we might only have six golfers, but we were going to have three wait staff and a full kitchen. Um, just in case people showed up and that over eight, nine, 10, 12 month season, it's a huge line item on a budget. Um, and over there, they're just like, go to the, go to the stop and shop down the street or go to the gas station. Like it is what it is. It's fine, but we don't need to be prepared. Is there the same, that that's interesting to me that you guys are pouring beers and because I've, I've, I've witnessed that too, that they definitely are wearing multiple hats. Um, yeah, but is the burnout of PGA like I, this is on my this has been on my mind a lot lately because we're towards the end of the season I'm I'm getting together with a lot of the PGA pros we work with and uh, just kind of recapping stuff talking and you can just feel the burnout you know rounds are oh, yeah. way up these these pros are are some of them are killing themselves like it's just it's sad to me that they you know stay away from their families from sun up to sun down and they and they yeah. uh you know just at, at the beck and call of every single member at their club and and it just they're not going to make it like good these are good pros like these are guys yeah. that you know oh yeah you would think are journey, career men in this thing and i think it's a huge problem with the pga of america that they need to address is this burnout like it's just not sustainable and um i'm curious to hear you say that you're pouring pints and getting coffees but like is the burnout over there the same issue? Is our PJ pros and it's uh, similar? Okay, it's similar. Um, I don't really know any pros in Scotland, to be fair. Um, but in in Ireland, there is definitely burnout. Um, you see a lot of pros though that end up being GMs, which you don't see a lot here. Uh, they still work a ton of hours. Um, but it's not quite the same. The, the place I work for the Casey brothers, I mean, they own the resort, they work it. They're there seven days a week when they're open and they're there seven days a week when they're closed. Um, they love it. They grew up there. The Casey brothers are the best, but um, yeah, I think the burnout, the burnout's different. You know, they have super long summer days and super short winter days. Um, but you, you deal with a lot of crazy customer service stuff there, but it's not like here where, the customer service really grinds you down over a season, you yeah. know, and the especially if you're going back and forth, assistant bros, you go back and forth from the North to the South. You know, I did that for a couple of years and you never recover, you know, you, you get, you get a week and a half off and, and then you're back to the, to the grind. And, 
yeah, it is. It's brutal. It's I, I, and it's sad because these are the people that love the game the most, and that's why I, it's Frank. It just breaks my heart because I and I. Well, my college roommate uh, is a general manager now. Same same type of deal. He was a head pro, and uh, my college roommate's a general manager in Scotland at a, a very. Um, it's not on the coast. It's it's in the middle of the country, but it's a good club. And uh, I was asking him about that kind of those customer service stuff, and he's just like, I the the difference here is that. Uh, you know, at your club in in the states, he told me that you know people are paying fifty grand to be a part of that, and that comes with yeah. some some things that you have to say yes to. He goes, at my yeah. club, they're paying a lot less than that, like very very little. They they know that they can't always get yeah. yes to what they're asking for, and that he yeah. is empowered. And I think I think that's important because it's like, you know, they're the experts on the course, the club, the what what needs to happen, and I just like let people do their job. You know, that's kind of my, yeah, we always, it was always that. funny that one of the pros I worked for one time, uh, an accountant came in and was trying to tell us how to run a golf tournament. And, uh, you know, he sits the guy down and goes, no, I can, I can do it that way, but I don't hire you to do my taxes and tell you what to do. Cause you'd know that was stupid. So you hire me to run a golf tournament. So if you come tell me what to do, I'm more than happy to do it for you, but I just want you to know that it's, it's stupid and, uh, <laughs> you shouldn't do that. Uh, and the guy kind of was like, huh, when you put it in those terms, you know, you hire me to do what you do, uh, you know, let me do my job, you do yours. But in golf, you know, it's, it does look simple, right? A well-run golf tournament is the easiest looking thing in the world. You show up, your scorecard's there, you go play golf, you come in, it's scored, you get some prizes, you go home. Um, but there's so much more that goes into it. Um, you know, people don't understand how long a day a Monday outing is. Um, scoring a Monday outing is you trying to do math after working for 14 straight hours. Um, and that's really freaking hard. That's hard. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, that's that. And then you go work retail and, and check people out when you give them gift certificates. Right. Um, yeah. and that's your day off, right. You know, your, your day off as a golf pro is a 17 hour work day. So that's that, that is true. I never actually, didn't really dawn on me that yeah that monday day is so long and it's supposed to be the off day that's crazy and that's yeah i mean so when i when i was doing it so you're you, i worked every monday outing so it was about 15 a season and then uh you'd get like one morning or one afternoon you could usually dip but other than that like they'd try to be like you can take a full day like i can't take a full day whether it's lessons tournament prep for something else uh just be in there because you're short staffed uh and doing whatever so yeah, it's they're long days and and I'm and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to play the violin for uh, PGAs out there. Like it's it's a great industry and a lot of happy people. I don't want to like make it seem that way. I think I think what we kind of are doing with like bringing you on, for example, is you know being able to give some people in the game that truly love the game, like you do, you know, or like uh, Phil up in Chicago or myself, and um, just people that that really like have this uh, unquenchable passion for golf focusing that in a, in a more positive way that like gets more people to play golf. And, and I yeah. feel like that's what the PJ misses is that because they end up getting stuck behind, you know, all the customer service stuff. I don't think they're able to really uh, let their strength shine. You know, these are the people that dedicated themselves the most to the game of golf. And, and um, there's so much more they have to offer than uh, to the game, to golfers than just, you know, answering emails or, or, uh, or checking yeah. on, you know, 
title shipments and stuff. So I, I don't know. I, I think yeah. it's, I'd like, I'd like to see it change more towards that UK uh, role. Tell me about Ros- Rosa Pena because yeah. I, had a, I had a little college uh, experience there when I was a young, dumb yank. Yeah. Rosa, Rosa Pena is the, uh, it's the best man. So their dad bought it. Uh, he bought the hotel long time ago, mid nineties. And uh, the brothers grew up there. They have a sister, uh, but now the brothers run it. So John runs the hotel, Frank runs the golf and they're there. If you go, you're going to see one of the two of them. Um, they're doing everything and they work every day. So I, uh, I drove a gas golf cart around that didn't have a gas gauge. So it routinely ran out of gas and I always got made fun of for it. Um, the wind blows one day it blew the gas cart, uh, out of a parking lot and it got it stuck on a curb. And I had to call the maintenance guy to come tow the cart off of a curb. Um, that cart didn't work anymore after that one. Uh, dumb yank, the dumb yank. I, the, the dumb yank. I used to uh, always take your rain gear with you. It was like the rainiest summer in history when I was there. So I'd drive a gas cart around in the rain gear because it was the only way I could get home at night. Um, but you no, Ross Ben is. Golf, you took the, golf, uh, the gas cart home? Oh, that was the only way to get home. I lived across the street. Um, with uh so i lived yeah i lived in staff housing across the street and just drove the gas cart home it's a tiny little town um but so yeah they got they got had 36 holes when i was there just opened 18 uh new ones from tom dope which from what i've heard is phenomenal um definitely a must play that's not to say the others are like sleepers at all um you got 18 the old tom morris with the back nine along the ocean which is less like we used to play that all the time. It's it's one of the most fun nine holes you can play. Uh, just beautiful. Then you got Sandy Hills, which goes through the dunes. So uh, if you think of a Saint, of a Scottish course as kind of flat along the ocean, Sandy Hills will blow you out of your mind because it's like 150 foot cliffs and you're up on top of them. And uh, it's pretty mental. Uh, really good, really good golf course. Um, and then... I walked the land where the St. Patrick's links now is, and the land was really good. And Tom Duck makes good golf courses. So I think it's going to be a pretty good, pretty good golf course. Um, they play, opened it for preview play this year to some pretty good reviews. And then I think it'll be open uh, fully next That's season. Awesome. So I, I think the place like that too, like I know we got our eyes kind of set on that part of the country and yeah. When you, when you start doing the logistics of the drives that yeah. infrastructure in Ireland is, is still a couple of decades behind. It seems it's a like little, it's when, a little small, at least when you're trying to get to the coast, unless you want to just walk it like dump coin. Uh, but that like a resort type feel where you can play three great golf courses, stay a couple nights like that feels well, the best like a trip really, really great. Idea. Well, and one of the, one of the best parts is, is Ross Penner. They got a great hotel, phenomenal food. Um, and they're, it's a great spot to stay, right? You're only, you're probably an hour and a half from there and important new. Um, you're not that far from Critch Island, which is one of the best nine holers you'll ever play in the world. You can go up to Ballyliffin from there. You could go to Port Salin. You're two hours from Port Rush. If you want to go play Port Stewart, Port Rush, you're probably two and a half or three from Royal County down. So we'd have a lot of groups that would come in we had the best hotel in the Northwest. So just stay there, play our courses and then hop in a bus and just drive around rather than 
moving all the time. Just, just make it a home base. Um, it's definitely overshadowed by the Southwest. Uh, no one's ever going to tell you Waterville's bad. Uh, you know, it's a sweet golf course. Tralee's great. Valley Bunyan's great. And no, no one's going to knock the Southwest. But when you go to the Northwest, they make you feel more special because fewer people make it up there. Uh, it's, the prices are fractional compared to the South. Um, and the hospitality is unreal. Like if you go into Downings at night as an American, you better know everyone's going to, they're going to let you know that you have a good time. You're going to play a snooker match against somebody or uh, end up at the Wee Pub and, and they're going to, everyone's going to want to hang out with you and talk to you and buy you a Guinness. So, yeah, that's, that's always, that's what I, when I tried, everyone does the debate Ireland versus Scotland in terms of golf. It's a tough one. I have a real hard go at, at uh, picking one of those over the other. But when it comes to like, you know, everyone in Scotland will be kind, you know, nice, uh, but they're not going to kind of do what you're saying, which is like, give you memories you know make sure that you remember your night remember your time at their restaurant or their pub or whatever it is in ireland they they pride themselves on that you know they we used to all the time yeah we'd have guys take caddies all the time and the guy's like oh we're taking you out tonight like come to dinner here and then we're gonna get drinks here and you're just like yeah it's 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 a good time and and you'll always the, the hang's really good in ireland tradition scotland's a lot more traditional um Islands a lot more fran- like family and and yeah you'll be blown out of your mind somehow you just don't know how yeah the uh, my my Rossapena ma- uh, memory is my first uh, gentleman who played co- uh, Cockney crosshand okay so yeah you know we're playing a college match I'm playing for University of College Cork I think we're playing not Galway but it was. Uh, some school up that way. I don't know where they're, where they're coming, but that, that was their home track. And so we played the old and, uh, I was like, you know, pretty overconfident American, kind of the traditional stereotype and, and loud and like to, to, you know, playing good golf. And this guy, I was just watching him warm up who a guy I was playing. I think we were the three match and he's hitting balls, left hand low on the range. And I'm like, who is this 27 handicap? Like, look at that swing. It's hideous. How's he get, he's going to hit it 200 yards. Like I'm going to smoke this guy. Uh, I think I was closed out six and eight, six and eight, six and seven. Like he, and, and the wind did kick up. It was raining a little bit, but his ball just did, was on a frozen rope. It never left the pin. And, and uh, he was the coolest dude too. So I just remember, you know, him uh, rubbing it in as I was drinking my soup afterwards. But yeah, man, it's like, it's just such a different game over there. They put me into a, uh, I played in the club, like season long match play over there. Frank will probably never let me live it down. But one day I, I got matched against a local fisherman and they were home uh, on their Norwegian crab boat. So he, we, we played a match and uh, so also, I think I was, I was one up on 18. All I had to do was not lose the hole. And he's like green side in three. And I decided to try to hit three wood into the wind uphill to a green where it's just dead. If you go right, you just lose your ball. And I just had to make par. That's basically all I had to do. And I lost my ball, made double, lose the hole. Frank's like, what are you doing? So we, so, so now it's like getting dark and everyone's late for dinner. Cause they're like waiting on our match to end. So we go to one. And I hit driver down the middle. He hits, I've outdriven him by like 50 yards. He hits putter from like 150 
to like a foot. Jeez. <laughs> I like shanked it right. It's like, okay, we're done. Let's go get food. I lost. And I was just like, humbling. He, humbling. he hit driver putter putter and made birdie and uh, and beat me. And I was like, that's, yeah, that's golf over there though. Yeah, you can I, do it and it's it's easy. I was 20 and I think my revelation was that I grew up thinking I was playing golf, but I was really, you know, a range rat playing golf swing, playing uh, angles, play positions. You know, I had this yeah. in my mind's eye, Tiger's backswing and Tiger's, you know, position at the top. And I thought that was golf. I thought that was like the, you know, just be perfect, get all those perfections and then hit it the exact yardage that you know it needs to go. And then you get over there and you're like, oh my God, I've never really played golf. These, this is, these people play this game. Like it's a game and they're playing it and and they pay attention and they're aware of all the different condition changes and what they got to do. And I think not that they always pull it off, but it's just uh, really eye-opening for folks that go over there. And and that's why if somebody tells me they hate links golf, like I, I know what kind of golfer you are. I know it. I got you, you are, you need certainty in your life. I get it. You want to know every single, single detail of every single, uh, thing. And that's not Link's cough. You have to let go. You have to, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, it's, it's interesting to me that, that, uh, that probably feeds in culturally to, you know, the, the places that, that we're at too, because there's no way to control everything over there. You just can't. No, no, the ball's going to bounce. The wind's going to blow. Even when the wind's blowing, you don't really know how, you know, that's one of the reasons why it's the best defense of the old course, right? Is uh, if you're headed into a 20 mile an hour wind, you're not actually going to hit the same number every time. Bryson, if it blows, Bryson's, you know, math doesn't work in the way. It'll get you close, but it's not going to be exact. Yeah. And, and, and the pursuit of the exact will drive you insane. And that's why. Yeah. You can't do it. I, I don't. I don't think I've actually really watched Bryson play Lings golf, but I gotta. I gotta see it next. He time. avoids it at all costs. But if he if he plays in the wind, it's like, well, my spin rate will do this. You're like, dude, you don't know. Like the wind fluctuates from ten to twenty five. Like you want to tell me what the spin rate's gonna be? Like you don't know what the gust is gonna do. Like hit a low seven iron across your fingers. Yeah, man, I gotta. I gotta. He could. He could make up fourteen on eleven at St Andrews. That would be amazing. Um. Let's go stateside. So, you know, now we're like going backwards in time, I feel like, but this is kind of a, the way I, fun way to do it. Some time at Band and Dunes. You know, what can you tell me about being on the, uh, the inside of that monster operation that has become? Yeah, Bandon's, Bandon's amazing. It's uh, an amazingly run resort. It's run like a tea. The people that run it are amazing and the, the hospitality. The shuttle system, the way they can get your golf bag anywhere it needs to go is one of the more fascinating feats of like what computer software can do. But as an intern, yeah, it was pretty fun. There were 16 of us uh, in some cabins kind of behind the uh, ninth green or 10th green 11T or whatever it is out on trails where you make the turn um, out in the woods. And we were there for about six months and you work in the golf shops um play loads of golf so yeah we played probably 120 rounds of golf out there and just work and hang out and uh the golf's phenomenal it doesn't get old the golf out there never gets old it is it is good every time you play the uh and then you know you went to some up the up the up and down the east coast uh different private clubs what 
how different was it for you? Well, you started there, right? Did you start on the more traditional green grass side? I started, yeah. So I started in Ireland when I was in college. I did an internship there, um, then went to Bandon. And I was at Country Club in North Carolina in Pinehurst. Uh, went from there to Gardner's Bay Country Club, which is on Shelter Island out in the Hamptons near Sag Harbor. Went from there to Emerald Dunes down in West Palm. Then went to the Country Club of Fairfield. Went back and forth for a couple of years and then ended my greengrass career at Carolina Country Club in Raleigh. And you, you and I, we've talked a lot about the, the world of, of the country club. And um, if, you, if you could change one thing of those, you know, not, maybe not specifically those places, but just would change one thing about the overall you know, country club experience, if you will, what, what would you, if you were the czar, what would you uh, adjust? I'd make clubs decide what they wanted to be because you can't be everything. So choose something and be really freaking good at it. Um, good advice you know you're not going to be you're not going to be the best at everything it's impossible right you're not augusta you don't have the most profitable golf tournament in the world uh so you can't you can't do everything you can't please everyone at everything um you know no no business in general can do that doesn't matter what industry you're in so so pick something and be really good at it um whether you want to be the best golf club or you want to be the best tennis and social club, or you want to be the best bar hangout, like pick something to be really good at it. Um, too many places get spread super thin and then they can't actually invest properly in golf or tennis or social or the clubhouse and everything falls apart and all the members. Um, so yeah, pick a, pick an identity and be really good at that. That's good. I, I love that advice. And I, I think you feel that too, right? And there's no ambiguity when you go to places that know what they are um, and they're yeah. the ones that tend to survive and, and be special in the end. So, yeah. And they're run by people who make decisions. There's one person always that, that buck stops here. It's my favorite That's line. That. It's my favorite line of, of Mike Kaiser's uh, when we asked him about <laughs> something. He said, no, I'm, I'm all for committees. They just uh, you have to be an they, he goes, they can't be more than two and they have to be an odd number. Yeah. So the vote passes. And, and I, that's, yeah. that's, that's pretty, pretty interesting. What did I want to ask you? Oh, we got to talk Atlanta. Come on now. You've been there. For, <laughs> how long have you been our manager for Atlanta now? What, about two months? A little over two months now, probably? A little over two months. God, it feels like a lifetime. Uh, it's flying by, though, actually. Um, what have you learned? Let's, let's start with what you've learned about the Atlanta golfer. Cause we talked, we've talked a lot uh, with other guests on this pod about golf courses in Atlanta. I do want to hear kind of what you think about the golf scene, but let's talk about our members in Atlanta. What have you learned about the, uh, the new club member in, in Atlanta? Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of want for stuff other than uh, six hour rounds of public golf courses. Right. It's, it's, uh, it's there. Yeah. The, the public golf scene in Atlanta is uh, in a bit of tatters. It's You got to go far and wide to find some decent public golf. That doesn't take you all day. I mean, it takes you all day because you got to drive. But. I, and I see, I don't know Atlanta like uh, well enough. I mean, I, I think I know it better than most people because I've had to read up on it and, and dig on, on online and talk to our members, talk to you and other, other candidates. But uh I do, I have realized that it's a very cliched take to say my city's public golf sucks. 
and yeah. and mostly it's because of six hour rounds and other things. But like golf course wise, this is I've uncovered this with Chicago. Like Chicago's public golf does not suck. Yeah. It, it, you will never convince me of that. If you say that, it's because you're going to to the one you know one place that does the Google ads or the one place yeah. that does the deal on golf now. But if you look at the whole breadth of golf in our and the town I'm in, Chicago, it's it's good. It's good golf. Now yeah. I'm not saying there's five hour rounds. That's that's obviously still happening and, and a problem. But is Atlanta truly ba- that bad? Because I mean, so a lot of a lot of public golf in Atlanta is clubs is clubs that were built in the 70s that failed. Um, so you have basic like if you were a good club, you're you're still private or semi private in some regards. But the ones that are truly fully private were kind of the worst clubs that were built in the 70s. Uh, 70s, 80s, 90s, that probably when 07, 08 hit, didn't work anymore. And uh, they went public. So yeah, it's it's a lot of 70s, 1970s, 80s, and 90s golf courses that are public that are like, they're golf courses, but they're nothing that you're going to be like inspired to go play or uh, know who designed them or care who designed them um, or hit interesting golf shots or anything. Yeah. So yeah, it's a lot, a lot of uh, housing development golf and that kind of golf opposed to the fields, right. Where Ashley is. And, and it's not a inspiring golf course and a cool hang. Like you don't have a lot of those. Um, whereas like when I was in Connecticut, the public golf's not great, but it's, it's got a cool vibe to it at certain places. It's slow. Um, but you also have like Shenacoset, which is a Donald Ross for forget what that place is like 40 bucks. It's awesome. You can go to the city of West Orange in New Jersey just bought a, a Seth Rayner and is putting some money into it. I think it's called like West Orange Muni now. Place is sweet though. And, you know, you have that kind of stuff that's there near the city. Whereas here, there's none of that. There's no, at least that's nothing that anyone knows of. Uh, there's a couple of courses that just got renovated that might be cool this fall when they reopen, but they're not open yet. So if I'm, if I'm uh, in the renovation game, I would pick up as an architect, pick up and move to Atlanta. Cause I think well, you'd have to, the, the, the trouble with the renovation game is when you buy a course, you have to buy its debt and right. It's like, yeah, you could renovate it for a couple million, but if you have to buy it with a couple million in debt, the lenders won't let you restructure that you have to pay off the bad stuff they've already done. And so that's a hard one to actually figure out how to buy something, restructure the debt and make it go, make yeah. it go work from a financial perspective. Right. Right. Because it, it what, the thing I do know just from, you know, doing the digging is like what, one of the Andy Johnson always gave me the tip. He's like, go look at the night, whoever built courses, in 1920s of a market. It's probably kind of interesting, you know, maybe it got screwed yeah. up on the, but go find it. And you go to Atlanta and you look for that and there isn't any, <laughs> like, or not yeah. any, but there's very little and all of it's private. But yeah. uh, the golden age, it's so interesting to me that the, the architects, like I think we, you and I were looking at Donald Ross courses. I think there's only like two in the Georgia, three maybe. Like it's yeah. The, yeah. the big guys didn't pass through at that time because Atlanta developed later. It was kind of a, you know, not the hub. These guys did stop elsewhere. They maybe got as far as Savannah or Aiken or down that way, but they didn't really get all the way to Atlanta. And it shows. Yeah, history. History and the flow of money back in the you know early '90s, which is when golf was booming, uh, does some interesting things. And Atlanta got passed over at the time. Yeah, 
Well, what, what are the things you're working on for uh, for the Atlanta market? Because you've, you've been putting together some uh, some new ideas and some new stuff. What yeah. are you excited about? Yeah, you know, I think we got we got some fun stuff on the way. Um, like we said, the, the golf scene here is tough, but not not the best. So we got some cool weekend getaways coming, some some this fall, but college football wins the day in the South. And then we got the holiday season, which wins the day everywhere in the country. I, I didn't so, believe the so SEC. Common. Like I'm in Big Ten country. I know people love their football here too, but like golfers are golfers oh, no. up here. And if you know, we we do a good amount of, of fall events. We got one this uh, this Saturday up here, um, city versus suburbs. And I, I people warned me about SEC football, and like we were doing this huge oh, yeah. Saturday in September, and people are like, "Hey, you sure you want to do that?" They. Yeah, SEC is a different beast. I can't believe how people just SEC, ACC. I mean, when I was in North Carolina, ACC was like that. I mean, in Pinehurst on a Saturday afternoon, it is pretty dead. That's one of the funniest parts about down here. It's like golf pros. They're like, "When are you taking off Saturday?" It's a home game. No, no one's gonna be at the club. I can take a day off. It's like if you told a pro up north that you were gonna take a Saturday off, they'd be like, "What the heck are you doing?" down here yeah no no one will be here it's, it's also the urgency up north because you know snow's coming so it's like eh, yeah. okay I, I won't watch my team lose another home game i'll just go <laughs> yeah you can you can get out year round down here for the most part so cool. yeah we'll, we'll we'll keep the stuff coming all winter down here while you guys get snowed in and get depressed thank you appreciate that we got how are you feeling about your team's odds at the upcoming founders cup? So we're headed to, it's almost home turf for you. I mean, you know, yeah, you know, we, uh, of course as well. We're going to Pinehurst, Southern Pine. Yeah. I've played them all. I'll put a little course guide together for everyone on my team. Not, not give it to you guys. Um, you know, we got some plus handicaps. I was pretty, pretty happy when I was going through the handicaps and I kept seeing like two, one plus plus two. I was like, okay, we got this. We is that a good rolling. thing in, in, in matches that are going to have... If I get to set the pairings, it is. It's a phenomenal thing if I'm making I don't the pairings. Know, I think I'd rather take my my like really dangerous three handicap over your, your scratch guys. Or the, I would the take, best scenario I would, is like the 12 who's trending. Yeah, put the 12 who's trending with like a with a scratch. It's a phenomenal matchup right there. Yeah, that's true. That's the, that's the sneaky way to do this whole whole thing you don't want two scratches together they're they're screwed you put two scratches together they're gonna lose you're um you're you also don't want me i can't putt so <laughs> your uh captain scott ford has been talking a sizable amount of trash um on the interwebs scott's, scott's been going ever since i started <laughs> i love it it's uh it's i think it's gonna be really one of the highlights of the year because 20 i mean it, it shaped up to exactly the numbers like if what you guys atlanta team has the ambassadors on their side um so it's very much reminiscent to uh great we Britain couldn't have done that if we tried into europe i know you couldn't i like how did it get exact on the number and yeah. uh oh man it's gonna be a hoot what do you uh think of those golf courses so we're playing southern pines tobacco road mid pines it's the pines. best what's your it's favorite probably the best one? setup of that mid pines mid pines is probably my favorite course in pinehurst um I mean, Tobacco Road is right there, but it's 30 minutes outside Pinehurst. It's not, it's not in Pinehurst. Um, tobacco Road is what you do if you take a really good golf course designer and you give him uh, 
as much weed as you could ever want. And then you slip him some LSD. He comes up with Piner or he comes up with tobacco road in Piner. I'd say mid pine is probably my favorite. However, Southern pines. I'm excited to see after the reno from Kyle Franz, um, played it a ton when it, before it was renovated and you're like, this place is so good, but it's, they have no money. These are, oh yeah. Um, I played it middle of the renovation and have pictures of like playing the second grade and they like got the fringes cut out and all this. So yeah, I'm excited to see what they're going to do to it. Uh, last time I was there, we were on the back nine, we were on like 15 and they were burning the woods down behind us. So like the trees are on fire and we're playing golf. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, they made, they made 10 looks like you can, you know, not drivable anymore. You can't drive with a two iron. Oh, really? So well, there's like bunkers in front and right, and the green looks wild. So yeah, you can't run a little thing off the hill anymore. So I've I've been a huge fan of the place that I've seen that Kyle France has worked on. So I'm, I'm he does, yeah, it's great every time he does it. Um that mid mid pines, you can't beat mid pines. I mean, it's Sometimes so it's like, good. I tell people it's like stepping into like uh the poo book like it's just so idyllic like it, it's such an yeah. easy walk it's the best tea to green walk you've ever had there are some some climbs but like it's one of those places you, as soon as you get done you still have the energy to keep going and that's why i love that a you know, part of the article that we're doing is you have the unlimited whole loop i think it's just one through four is that i think that's what it is um, that would get you back yeah but it's it's that it's the type of place where it's so nice for walking that I I would do that I would just keep going because uh, it's just it's just beautiful man. I love that place and then you got the historic inn and it just feels like you're in 1910 you know it's uh, yeah a lot of those first four holes are the ones that always get me one time. two's one two's not bad tee shot on three mm-hmm. it's either going it's going dead left in those trees every time and then you got to hit a cut on four. And then you have to hit it around the tree. It's just yeah. it's not the easiest start to a round of golf ever. But once you get back in the woods there, it's so good. The rowdy is so good. Pretty special. Well, yeah, that's that's getting me pumped. That'll and I, I think what I'm most excited for is just to see, like we've never blended worlds. I've been this floater for the last year and a half, going from you know down to Atlanta, back to Chicago, and just seeing like very similar communities, but very different communities. And, and they're all yeah. about to, to meet up for the first time, you know? So I'm pumped yeah. to see uh, friendships developed. Um, well, and then you get the ambassadors. I don't know. You, you, get, you get the ambassadors all in too. Yeah. You know, I, at least it's, it's not like we got New York and Boston trying to come together. Cause I don't think <laughs> that would work very well, but uh, right. you know, I don't know who Chicago's rival is, but it's definitely not Atlanta. I don't know if Atlanta sports are good enough to have rivals right now. Chicago sure sure aren't either. <laughs> they still um socks, white socks, I guess. That's a different story. But uh no man, this is uh this has been fun. I being able to introduce you back to to the folks that haven't met you yet. And uh I do have the 19th soul if you were game. I haven't done this one in a while. Well, we're all good. Let's let's do it. We should probably let that one fly. Okay, so for those that are new to the bag drop. This is the 19th soul. It's 35 questions. We have, our scientists have uh, developed and analyzed from the uh, original French novelist, Marcel Proust, to his goal was attempting to reveal the truest nature of an individual. Our goal is trying to get to the soul of the golfer. So Casey, Kermes, do people call you Kerms? 
Do you heard everything? Kermit the Frog. (laughs) I was going there next. Uh, Oh, yeah. Casey Kermis, are you ready for the 19th song? Let's do it. Question number one. When were you the happiest as a golfer? Oh, probably uh, being in St. Andrews after a two-week quarantine and you finally get out of your apartment building for the first time and you're like, let's go play some golf. You get to about the third hole and you're exhausted because you haven't left a 150 square foot apartment for two weeks. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, that first round out is pretty darn good. I, I never had to quarantine. How'd you eat? You get deliveries. So you the lady like- who ran our building was like the biggest sweetheart in the world. Um, so yeah, we'd order food downstairs, like grocery deliveries and they'd bring it up, knock on your door and you'd go pick it up. And yeah. So number two. What's the scariest shot in golf? Probably have to hit any kind of wood off the deck. Just don't. Yeah, I don't want to do that ever. We if we, we can just, avoid it. We don't. We just played the Chicago Club Championship, as you know, and the first tee shot at the Dunes Club. So it's all all these matches. Everyone the qualify for match play. It's a, it's a tight one. It it it's a little wider than you think, but it it's just a nervy first tee shot. You can it, it would prefer right to left, which you know most people don't have and. Uh, everyone kept going to the three wood and I kept cringing because I'm like, don't do it. It's, it's, no. people don't realize when you're nervous, you need a big head, just ba- bash the driver. If it goes in trees and the three woods, not forgiving. Like, no. oh, you know, I've had it's one three wood in my, I, I had one three wood. I loved the Callaway Epic flash three wood. I'm going to buy one of you guys on eBay one day here, but man, that thing was the best. And now I've got, yeah, just the, any, any, having to hit a three wood is just give me an iron all day. Let me tee up a anything. I'll tee up the three wood, but oh, if I have to hit three wood off the deck, it's it's scary. Yeah, it's a good one. number three. What is your go to order at the halfway house? Kit Kat. Kit Kat. When I was in Ireland, we had a a fridge. Frank still yells at me because I ate all the Kit Kats. We just had a fridge in a golf shop with Lucas Aids and, and Snickers bars and Kit Kats. And I uh I could I could devour some Kit Kat bars. Describe a Lucas Aid. I think Americans listeners would understand. Lucas Aid. Describe a Lucas Aid for those that have not experienced. Lucas Aid. I, I don't like Lucas Aid. It's uh kind of like a mix between a soda and a Gatorade. Yeah. Um and it's interesting. Amazing some people love them. Syrup. And yeah, exactly. And strong. Uh, some people love them. Some people hate them. I'm not a Lucasade fan. If you asked our, like the, the young kids at the club, they, uh, Lucasade and French fries is kind of what you are raised on in Ireland. Like, I don't think they eat protein. It's just Lucasade and fries. Yeah. Lucasade and chips for lunch. Um, Shane call. I, I still, still remember you for your, your Lucasade and, and chips every day. Funny. Number four. What is the trait you most deplore in your golf game? In my golf game, mm-hmm. oof. Most there's two. You know, I'm I'm really streaky off the tee, so I either drive it like a pro or like a 25 handicapper. Um, and I'm really streaky on the greens, so it either all goes in or I make nothing. So when I drive it well and I putt it well. I'm liable to play very good golf. And when they both go, go South, I'm liable to shoot 85. Um, so yeah, how streaky I am off the tee and on the greens, it's getting better. We're making strides, but it's still a pretty streaky game. 
I think there's some folks that can relate to that. Self-assessment. Number five, what is the quality you most look for in your playing partners? Fun and fast. Fun and fast. Let's turn that into a t-shirt. Number six, what is the trait you most deplore in other golfers? Deplore? Uh, slow, and then they talk to my ball. Talk to your own ball. You don't have to talk to my ball. Slow and sad. <laughs> slow and sad, yeah. <laughs> Fun and fast versus slow and sad. <laughs> that, come, coming to a new club shop near you. Yeah, coming to that might work uh let's see number seven what words or phrases do you most overuse on the golf course that's not good that's in a bad spot (laughs) whoops (laughs) number eight what golfing talent would you most want to have i just want to hit it far and straight off the tee if you do that you can't shoot a high number like you can't take a penalty stroke on the green you're not going to take a penalty stroke with a wedge. If you do, like you effed something up real bad. But yeah, if you can keep it in play off the tee uh, and you hit it far, you're, you're going to shoot a low number. Have you, uh, I mean, you know, like I mentioned at the top of the show, you're a unit. You got a high arc to your golf. <laughs> what do you, uh, uh, did you chase speed at all in this kind of like wave of long drive that we're all consuming? You know, I probably would have if I could. I've got a pretty bad back now. That's uh, the end of the cross career was when I threw my back out. So uh, I kind of cruise it where it is. I can definitely swing it harder if I want. Um, there's there's some more miles an hour in there. Um, but yeah, we usually just try to keep it around the the baseline. Number nine. What is your most treasured golf possession? Most treasured golf possession. You know, I got a collection of yardage books, which is pretty cool um, from all over. Uh, so those are fun to go through. I, I'm not one for like the, the hats and stuff. You never use them. I mean, you never use yardage books either, but there's some some cool yardage books out there from different courses, some hand-drawn ones. Uh, Friars Head's yardage book is pretty, pretty interesting. The old course yardage book, the the one they get you if you actually like pay a green fee is it's like painted. That one's pretty neat. That's sweet. That'd be cool. Making the turn number ten. What's the one thing in your golf bag you should throw out? Probably wrappers, like candy wrappers, Kit Kat wrappers. Yeah, exactly. Random stuff. I'll be honest. I think Kit Kats kind of stink. They're. Is it yeah, I don't really eat them much. Candy bar. What the hell is it? It's just like yeah, it's just candy. It's just sugar. You give me anything. I mean, if they had ice cream at a halfway house, I'd get ice cream, but they don't usually have ice cream. So but if you give me like a waffle cone, if you get a waffle cone at the, at the halfway house, oh, I'd get that every time. I'm just salty. My brother growing up loves Kit Kats and I didn't. And we just, my, my mom just assumed I did. So I was just <laughs> giving Kit Kats around, you know, I'm not a huge chocolate person, but if you give me a Kit Kat or a Snickers, it'll, it'll hit the spot. Number 11. What is your favorite occupation at the golf course? Yeah, to do or just to that I'm envious of. You can approach it either either way. Maybe it's like, you know, the, the... I do love uh, all the guys in the kitchen. I've always had a lot of. When you're a golf pro, you got to get along with the guys in the kitchen. You know, you learn that quick. Um, you can get some good food out of them. Yeah, I used to order a couple lunches under different people's names when I was at Emerald Dunes. They didn't find out till like two years after I left. That's a funny one. <laughs> wait, wait, members or 
No, I would order them under like staff that weren't there that day. So every staff member got lunch every day because I would order extra food for people. And then like the chef called me like two years later. I was like, Casey, what were you doing? I was like, gotcha. That, um, that lacrosse weight gain you had. To, yeah. Yeah. We got chicken tenders and fries from it every day. But uh, yeah, chefs, um, superintendents, they put in some hours. Uh, but I mean, I'm always part of a little golf pro too. They, uh, it's, a, it's tough. I feel you. Number 12, have you ever asked another golfer for their autograph? I've not. No, never? No, no. Kid? Never really went to golf tournaments as a kid. Yeah, because, um, I mean, you grew up in uh, Massachusetts, right? I was in Connecticut. So I, was, uh, I wasn't that far from TPC Hartford. So there's that every year. Um, but didn't really go much and uh, just played everything else under the sun. So, if yeah. you could if you could have someone's autograph, who would you want? Tiger. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think everyone my age growing up, it's, it's the tiger generation. Did you model your game after him? Like so many of us? Oh, I mean, I wish I could act like I did, but I don't, I don't think I well, can. All of us started. I try, try. Yeah. It's not that any of us got there. We <laughs> that's true. That's true. Unless you're Justin Thomas, you haven't actually like achieved it, but uh, yeah, no, I, I, we can say I tried. Yeah. Uh, number 13, what historical golf figure do you most relate to? Do I most relate to? Uh, man, I wish I was better at history. Should have paid attention in that class growing up. Um, they, they weren't talking about golf most of the time. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I like Donald Ross. He makes good golf courses, traveled a lot, traveled a lot. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe Ross. Yeah. He's a good player too. People don't realize it. He, he could yeah. get it around. Number 14, what is your greatest golf regret? Probably not playing competitive golf when I was little. I would have loved to play. I grew up playing golf, but I uh, never really played it competitively. And uh, yeah, I think it would have been fun to see what what could have been. But it's hands and butts, so it is so what it is. At a young age, were you was lacrosse your sport? Uh, so I played baseball and hockey growing up, um, and then played lacrosse kind of in middle school through college. Um, and then I played golf here and there, but it always, it was, is either baseball season or lacrosse season. Uh, so like in high school, I always chose lacrosse over golf and then got hurt and, and started playing more golf. So I feel like that's, uh, lacrosse players would make pretty good golfers just like you know stick ball yeah sports usually stick ball and, and how you shoot a lacrosse ball is pretty similar to how you generate power to play play golf mm-hmm. um and you don't have the like hang back move that baseball players have all right um, so baseball players the kinetic sequence to swing a baseball bat versus swing a golf club are diametrically opposed mm-hmm. and that's why they hit massive slices that go seven skyscrapers high um that's really hard to change but like like a, a really good sport for golf is field hockey. If you played field hockey, you can smash a, a golf ball. Interesting. Didn't think about that. Uh, number 15. What is your favorite golf book or movie? I'm going to ask you for both. Uh, movie. Uh, the documentary they just did on St. Andrews is pretty good. That, I like that, that. From that group. Uh, 
It was on Golf Channel a couple months ago. Yeah. Yeah, like a life, a life in St. Andrews, I think it was called, something like that. Yep. That was pretty good. Uh, powerful to anything, St. Andrews. Uh, book. Uh, man, there's so many. Um, what's that data golf book that they wrote a couple of years ago? Uh, this the data route. The guy from Columbia when he wrote it. The he created strokes gained. No, he created strokes gained. Oh yeah, uh, uh, starts with a B. Mark Brody. What was Brody's book? Yeah, yeah, his book. Um, yeah, I mean, he used to teach, right? So, so it's his book. When you can sit down with someone and be like, here's the numbers. Like, if you want to be better, this is what you have to do. Um, that was, that's probably my favorite book just because of the, you can end a lot of arguments with strokes gain numbers. Data. You can, I don't care how well you putt, the best putter on the PGA Tour lost his card seven straight years. Take it for what it is. The longest driver did not lose his card for seven straight years. I think Bryson read that book. <laughs> And so, so did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number 16, what is your least favorite hole in golf? Yeah, I was ready for this one. The 17th on the new course in St. Andrews. That hole drives me nuts. Help me out. I'm, I'm, I'm it's like a 240 yard par three in oh, the way. Yeah. at the end of a round when you're tired and you have to hit a three wood off the deck to get it's- it there. It's a separator. That's like it's like a it's, standard template they had, to have your seventeenth hole as a long par three to separate. Yeah. You know, challenge. but you had like you've got like a forty yard walk from the sixteenth green to that tee. Like you could have done a really good short par four, yeah, and they made a really long, boring par three. I'm like this course is so good. There's there's seventeen phenomenal holes. You're know, like this one hole. Like please do something. That part three drives me nuts. It's funny you say that because I was uh, had a nice string of some down Rosses right lately, and D- Ross never did the same thing all the time. But I did notice that you know in like the 11, 12, 13th hole was a short part three, and then sixteen or seventeen was a long part three, and they were just very similar type of of holes. And and there must have been some type of thought process to that that you know, yeah. maybe they were built around the same time, but. Um, I was thinking about that. I was like, man, that'd be cool to just flip those. Right. Like, I kind of feel like yeah. as you're getting into the back nine and, and like, you know, hit, hit them with that challenge earlier and, and t- toss in a, a do or die short, like hundred yard par three on 17. I think that would be yeah. pretty dope. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a hard one. I, I don't, I don't like that hole at all. All right. All right. New course. We'll be there in May. I'll, we'll see what the group, uh, group agrees or disagrees. 17, one song to listen to on the course for the rest of your life. Do you listen to music on the course? I think you do. I do. I do. Um, one song. I'm so bad at remembering songs, but it would probably be something reggae, maybe Bob Marley or something. Just I, something, something like that. That's, that's my go-to jam as well. And I remember when we played at the Hooch, and you rolled up in your car, reggae was on, and we knew each other from a, you know all the all yeah. conversations, of course. But we, when you don't play golf with somebody, you just you know, that's a big question mark. You never know. Yeah, Maybe this is going to be a, a slow and sad individual. Maybe not his best. But um, yeah. the uh, that the the Bob Marley was was banging when you pulled up the cart, and I'm like, all right, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna flow. Yeah, I was I was in Charleston, and uh, 
one of the girls I played with a lot, she always had this playlist reggae party is what she called it. So it's that. I have no idea what's on it, but that that's the go-to play. There's another reggae playlist, but it's like a thousand songs. So I usually don't have that one downloaded on my phone. But uh, Akbar of Seamus Goff uh, made made a playlist public called uh, Feel Player Rhythms. And okay. I always recommend that one. That's a really it's gonna Akbar's of... Akbar's the man. I absolutely love Akbar and Megan, so I'm gonna have to listen to that now. Yeah, if you yeah. check that one out, it, he he knows his music. 18. If you had a motto, maybe you do. What would it be? It's just golf, man. It's just golf. Just you know, I worked for, uh, when I was at Emerald Dunes, the, the head pro, we had a director of golf, head pro, first assistant, and me. And uh, that was always his thing. The handicaps are on. It's just golf, dude. It's just golf. It's going to be fine. It's just golf. Just go play. It's just golf. It's just golf. It's just golf. At the end of the day, it's, it's, you're hitting a little white ball with a bent stick. Like, it's just golf. Casey, what a delightful way to start my morning chatting with you. Uh, I think we uncovered like three or four t-shirts. I feel like that last one would be a good one too. It's just golf. But uh, yeah, no, I think, um, you know, the community thanks you, man. Everything you're doing in Atlanta uh, has been a blast to, to see it start to grow and blossom. And um, I'm personally looking forward to kicking your ass in Piners four straight days. No, no, we're not going to let that happen. We'll, uh, we're going to come out victorious. So we got gotcha. you. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you are not a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter or Instagram, we're at New Club Golf. This episode was produced by Mark Caldwell with research assistance by Jim Sitar. The backdrop is supported by members of New Club Golf Society and our official partners.